Hello and welcome to our second podcast featuring the memories of people from Ilminster. Today is the turn of Mr Roger Swan, former grammar school pupil and teacher for one year in Ilminster Girls Grammar School before a long and distinguished career as a teacher for nearly 30 years at Stanchester School. Roger also taught at many local schools including Wadham, Maiden Beach and Swan Mead. Good afternoon Roger. Good afternoon. Um, can you tell us what brought you to Ilminster? Well, initially it was uh, a case of sitting the 11 plus and managing to pass the 11 plus, which brought me down to Ilminster for an interview at the grammar school. And then at the tender age of 11, we were bussed down every day for our education in Ilminster. And then at four o'clock, the bus would pick us up, take us back up. All right. So our, our school in Ilminster then brought people from not only our town but all the villages around who could pass an exam. Yeah, yeah. Is that um, right? The likes of Coombe St Nicholas, Winsham, Tatworth and uh, a large proportion of the boys came from uh, Chard and Ilminster because obviously they're towns. Okay. And when you went to school there, was it still a boarding school as well? Yeah, there was a boarding section, which, um, if people know it, Court Barton, you've got Cross House. Yes. Well, Cross House, that side of things, was the uh, boarding house for the boys. And then the other side was the Ilmster Girls Grammar School, also with a boarding element. Oh, yes, yeah. But they were not supposed to meet. Oh, but they did. I'm sure they did. <laughs> so Cross House, then... Was that owned by the grammar school? Yes. In fact, that was the original grammar school, which was founded in 1549. That's where it began. Ah. And then, uh, later on, we had the spanking new boys' grammar school built in 1870-something or other. Yeah. Uh, and then the school transferred to the new school, the boys. The boys, which is uh, Greenfield, as we all know it. Yeah. And then uh, the buildings that were left empty, that was when the girls' grammar school was set up. Oh, right. Yeah. So when did you go to the grammar school? In the 60s? I started, let's see, I was born in 1948. Uh, 1959, I started and left in 1966, having taken the usual O-levels, A-levels. So how... Greenfield, it was obviously different than Greenfield today. How different was it? Well, uh, we did have uh, one or two wooden classrooms at the back, uh, a sixth form building, what you might call more modern. If you, if you look at uh, Greenfield School, as we might still call it, the older section is the original boys' grammar school that was built in 1870-odd. Then you've got the main school hall, which was our gym, right. that is a newer bit. That faces Wharf Lane? Yeah, that uh, faces yeah. onto Wharf Lane. Yeah. And then across from the gym, there are two other newer classrooms. You can see it in the stone that the buildings are made of. But also, uh, across the grass uh, playground as we see it now, there used to be, in my day, the wooden classrooms, which were a gift from the... Uh, Americans who were out at Merrifield and that was set up and we used it. The uh, left-hand portion was smaller 
and that was the armoury and kit store for the school cadet force. It was full of old British 303 rifles and one Bren gun, camping equipment and khaki uniforms for us all throughout the school. Really? Yeah. And the middle section was a classroom and the right-hand section uh, originally was a woodwork shop for when the oh, grammar yeah. school actually yeah. did practical. It, I didn't uh, take part in that. It was finished as part of the curriculum before I got to that age. But um, that was a woodwork shop. And then it was shut down as a woodwork shop and became a sixth form sort of common room. Oh, really? Yeah. So what was it? Wooden huts? Yeah, wooden huts that were condemned the year I was born. And yet I was taught in them when I was 15 really? years of age. Yeah. God. You hear grammar schools were not... People either liked them or they didn't like them. Was it as bad as they write about in some books? Well, I suppose if if you went in at 11, and, and I had an older brother two years ahead of me, so I knew what was coming. Um, the one, In fact, I've just been to uh, a funeral of an old boy because I'm now president of the Old Boys Association. Oh, are you? Oh, so oh, I wow. go to all the funerals of boys who passed away. Oh. And this particular lad from the same village, I knew him very well, from Kunsa Nicholas. He disliked it intensely because, of course, every night and at weekends, you had homework, three subjects oh, yeah. a night. Yeah. And that really tied you down because you looked out of the window, there were your mates that you'd gone to uh, village school with, who'd gone to secondary modern, they were out playing football or whatever, mm. but you had to get the homework done. Or when you got to school, you hadn't done it, you were punished, and if you were exceedingly naughty, it was to the head, three with a stick. Uh, was it really? But oh, oh yeah, yeah. Beating was very much part and parcel of the discipline system. Even in the sixties. Oh yeah, yeah. Really? I, I can remember an occasion when uh, a sixth form boy who had transgressed, and he was quite the sort of boxing champion of the school. He had to go in and see the head, and I think he had six. And when he came out, and I saw great big fellow, I saw the tears going down his cheeks. I thought, no way do I want any of that, because <laughs> if it's really made his life miserable and he's built like a brick latrine, if yeah. I go in there, I should be hospitalised. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you never got the beating? No, I came close, I came close. Um, if I can tell of my own personal transgression, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, you may know, sadly, just recently passed away, Nigel Gillard yes. and I were in the same form. And Nigel Gillard and I decided one day, in this same classroom I told you about in the wooden hut, we had a really old-fashioned pot-bellied coke stove to heat the classroom. Oh. And it used to get really hot through the day. And Nigel and I decided that we get a pair of old rugby socks and toast them on the top of the stove. <laughs> they were cooking away nicely. Of course, the aroma drifted down to the sixth form. <laughs> they were straight round and caught Nigel and I an impromptu cookery lesson straight to the head because there was a, his ticket over the top signed by him. Anyone tampering with the stove will receive really? <laughs> punishment. But luckily, our head was the JP, Justice of the Peace, yep. and he was out on magistrate's duty. So, although we waited, 
we couldn't be beaten and therefore we had we used to call them impots short for impositions and you'd get three or four sheets of the old uh foolscap size paper yeah and you'd have to write copy from the bible line after and they'd stipulate eight words per line and they'd check sort of at random the lines and if you hadn't got eight words on any given line you were given more that was the prefect system my gosh so did you enjoy it in the main i i liked it in the i i must admit the academic side of things I found uh, quite a struggle, especially things like Latin. That Now, elder brother was very good at Latin. And one of the things about schools like that, if you had an elder brother who set down a family marker, you oh. were supposed to, and I've, I've been told that once or twice, oh, letting down the family name, Swan. Really? <laughs> that, that sort of thing, yes. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't like the Latin so much, but... I just happened to be pretty good at games. So, you know, I was at the end of my school career, I was um, captain of the soccer 11, captain of the cricket 11 and first 15 fullback. So I could do that. So that gave you a bit of, and I was head of house and because you had three houses, Hanning, Walren and Waddle. You know, they were all three. Well, two of them were founders, Walren and Waddle. And Hanning, obviously, the famous local explorer, yes, yeah. you know. And we had a swimming pool. Which Did you? I, which I was no good at whatsoever. Still can't swim to this day. And and yet, every summer, we would go in for our swimming lessons and I, I just couldn't hack it. Football, rugby, cricket, no sweat, but swimming. Was it freezing? Oh, yeah, it was open and... Was uh, it? Because, I mean, obviously, over the summer, evaporation, it would go down a little bit. But it was generally about five foot six at the deep end, three foot at the shallow end, and just simply, you know, three lanes. And we'd have house swimming sort of galas. And you'd have, you know, the three lanes for the three houses. And uh, memories sort of come back. Not not memories, really. Nightmares (laughs) of swimming lessons. So I couldn't do it. And Mr. Lang, who people will know, was head of PE, but the only PE teacher, I think. Um, he thought one day that it would increase the non-swimmers' confidence if they went off the top board at the deep end. So he knotted together three or four skipping ropes from the gym. Swan! So, and he knots the rope around my waist and I go up the three levels to the top board, step forward, he says, right, jump off. This will, you know, improve your confidence. I thought, no, it won't because I'm here absolutely bricking it. (laughs) But in the end, he kind of pulled on the rope a bit and over I went into the water, came up. He towed me to the side. He said, I've never seen anything so funny in all my life as you coming up through, through the waves, gasping for air. I thought, well, thank you, sir. I'm glad I amused you, but it didn't do a lot for me. <laughs> and so it didn't really boost your confidence, did no, it? No, no. But, uh, you know, that, that was swimming. When we swam in it, there was no filtration. And you would find 
that you shared the water with little wriggly creatures oh, yeah, yeah. and the, the, over the summer the water became greener and greener and greener and the only kind of moves to offset that was Mr Lang every whit in a while would get two bottles of Chloros you know mm. and he would walk down one side shaking it out into the water then he walked down the other side and shake it out and then he'd say okay lads jump in and stir it up you know you jumped and if you jumped into a pure lump of you know when you came your eyes were bloodshot <laughs> the oh. joys of the grammar school didn't do you any harm though did it no it turned me into the woman i am today <laughs> as you go past that swimming pool and you're going out towards the town, mm -hmm. on the stonework there is all um, initials of people who were with the school and all they've written. Is, is your initial there? No, no. Oh, right. The only, the only uh, place where I left an initial that's been obviously been painted over was in, uh, if you come into the school as it is now, and you turn immediate left, there's a little office, and then beyond that, there's what used to be Claire Oton's yeah. office, two little offices. That was our old school library. And when I was lying back in the chair, back in the corner, I got my big thick pen and wrote my initials over and over again on the underside. But that was the only... Um, you know, those, those initials probably go back, you know, many, oh, they do. many yeah. generations. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, no, the other thing we used to do was, of course, we shared that pool with the girls. They would come down for their swimming lessons when we were not using it. And we found that the library table where we worked, if you stood on the table, you could look over the fence around <laughs> and see what you could yeah, see, well. you know, which is the way things are. When you stuff a load of boys yeah. together in a fairly confined environment with not a lot to do, they will find mischief to do. Yeah. You know, the things we got up to. I mean, in that wooden classroom that I told you about, we, um, one day, just for the hell of it, you know the old-fashioned fags you used to get with the silver foil wrapped around them to keep them dry? We would gently peel off that very thin metallic silver paper tear off a bit and fold it over and over until it was a thin little sort of cartridge like this. We take out the bayonet bulb, put it across the terminals and push the bulb back in. And we do about five of those. And later on in the afternoon, we say, Sir, it's getting a bit dark in here. Might we have the lights? Of course, switch on the lights, lads. And some lad would go up to the bank of switches and switch them on. Of course, when he got to the bank that had all the electrodes joined together by the silver paper, you'd get doof, 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 and four or five bulbs would blow all together. It's, you know, it, sheer. And the other thing we did with the pot-bellied stove, remember on one occasion, the coke would burn through during the day, but initially there was just sort of fire in the bottom and the top coke was relatively cool. Right. One lad brought in two, two, two shells we took the top off the fire and just put these in the top, put the lid back on. And of course, the heat burnt through during the day. 
until it warmed up these two sort of bullets. Bang! In the top. <laughs> Everest star, totally shot. <laughs> it's all good fun with boys. We'll be boys though, yeah. won't they? Yeah. yeah, terrible, terrible. The headmaster throughout all my career was Mr R.T. Graham, who wrote the history of the boys' grammar school. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, was he good? What, as a headmaster? Yeah. Yeah, he, he was all right. He uh, very civilised, you know, he taught Latin. And, and I remember on one occasion, because some of them obviously would shout and holler and like lots of teachers did in those days. Yeah. But he was very sort of even-tempered. And even when he was disciplining you, I suppose from his superior height as head he just his word was law so mm. no need to raise your voice but I remember on one occasion I was in the fourth form and he'd gone out to his office to do something I set us some Latin work to do as I've said I hated Latin really bored with it so I noticed this boy in front of me his PE kit was spewing out of his bag so I extracted his blue shorts and rammed them right down over his head just as Mr. Graham walked in the door <laughs> with his boy, you know, displaying his shorts <laughs> around his head. He just said, Swan, you've obviously got spare time. Write out last night's homework four times, please. And just walked up to the front of the class. <laughs> More work. <laughs> but having mentioned the armory, mm -hmm. The story behind the cadets, it, it was expected that all of us, I think it was from a particular age, we would all become part of the school army cadet force. And you went along to the armory and the boys who'd been made up to be sergeants and so on. I don't know whether, if you can remember a policeman in the town called Padfield, Sergeant Padfield. And interestingly enough, his boy, was a sergeant in our cadet force in school. Oh, right. So it was the likes of him, the senior boys, who would dole out the uniforms, you know, ask what inside leg measurement you're waist, and you'd get your battle dress, cap, and if you coughed up 15 bob, you could have a pair of army boots as well, but <laughs> I didn't go that far. And then you were expected on a Wednesday, we would have in the afternoon army cadet drill. And the annoying thing about that was, if you know anything about army uniforms of, you know, Second World War and beyond, they were exceedingly rough, hairy shirts and, you know, the khaki mm. material. Mm. And of course, we village boys, we'd have to go from home, togged up in army gear right throughout the working day, whereas the town boys could be in civilian clothing up until lunchtime go home, put their uniforms on, come back for drill. So that was, you know, not such a... Really. Not, and especially sometimes, sometimes in the summer, the order would go round, the senior officer, who's a member of staff, would say, right, lads, exceedingly hot, shirt sleeve order, so you could take off your battle dress, roll up your khaki sleeves to elbow height and no further... And you could parade like that. Because now and again, you know, you'd get one lad go whoop, down on the playground, you know, faint with the heat, heat. of... Yeah. But um, 
And then we would be issued with 303 rifles um, from the store, which were heavy, and we'd have to clean them. So you'd flick open the hole on the butt, take out the lanyard and get a piece of oily rag, put it through the lanyard. It was a, called a pull through and pull it through. And then you'd have the cock the barrel up with your thumb in the breech and it would be checked for cleanliness. And then we'd start drill in order yeah. and then out onto the old wharf lane. Yes. Which was, you know, as you remember, sort of tarmac more or less to our school entrance and then it was sort of cobbly yeah. and sort of gravelly down to the canal more or less and we'd be marching up and down there you know to do our drill and yeah. so forth and even in that you had two exams part one and part two which you know you had to pass and then uh, you got your certificate for being proficient in drill and field craft and right. you know all that sort of thing so that that was an aspect of school life which yeah. was slightly different to you know like the almost secondary yeah. modern or yeah did you mix with any of the other schools uh i can remember one fixture with the almost secondary modern and i can yeah the boy Sumption from Dolish Weight, we played cricket against them. And oh. he was playing for Ilmus Assembly Modern. And Sidney Allen from South Petherton, great big tall Sidney Allen, he was also playing. But those are the only two boys I can remember who were actually play Oh, and um, oh, I've forgotten the name of the other one. Anyway, there didn't seem to be that much, you know. Uh, liaison between the two schools and certainly from speaking from the uh, girls grammar school point of view Mrs Sawyer in charge of PE never had fixtures with comprehensive because I can remember this is tales out of school <laughs> Mrs Berry who taught at the secondary modern and her husband Ron taught there as well he went to Chard and Jean Berry came over to Wadham when it first started to begin Berry House, as it's yes. still known. Yeah. It, it was, they were all named after their original heads of houses. Yeah. Brian Gibson, Deirdre Cooper, Jean Berry, Norman Powell. They were the four. Anyway, she went over there and of course all the, there were five schools that came together. The girls' grammar school some of them went over there plus staff and of course mrs sawyer was now in the same staff room as mrs jean berry oh yes and they'd never well jean would have loved to have had fixtures but mrs sawyer was well, very much grammar school plays grammar school right never yeah. the two shall so meet. really the Ilmister children didn't really mix the two schools did it no mix? no i mean they obviously out of school and you know if you're a grammar school kid or a secondary modern kid and you both come from Blackdown, as soon as your uniform's off, you're out creating mayhem like you've always done. But yeah. No. Yeah. So what, um, what time was school in a grammar school? Uh, well, so nine, get... lessons started at nine o'clock and I think we finished at four o'clock. Oh, so not too on. much longer than... Oh, no, these. no, no. It's just that when you got home, you had another hour and a half of 
prep, as they called it, yeah. preparation for the next lesson. It was never preparation for the next lesson. It was just more of the same stuff that you did in class, but it was a grammar school, homework was expected, yeah. and they set it. And did you see much of Ilminster during your time here? Could you go out into the town easily? or Apart from my visit to the chip shop, that was it. Right. I think when we became uh, sixth formers, you could go out then. Um, and do you remember much of it? Can you take us around the town in those days? or? I'd, I wouldn't have known much more than uh, out the back of the grammar school, across to Bax Fish and Chip Shop. Where was that? Where's Bax? Opposite the library, you know, Pasquale. What is now what was Vincent's? Yeah. Ah, right. Always been That's a chip shop. In right. my, in my, you know. Yeah. But um, Mr. Back used to run it with his wife, obviously, and their son David, who's obviously the retired builder now, David Back. Yes, yeah. He was their boy, and we did have a bit of liaison there. I remember now it's coming back. A bit of liaison with one or two young ladies from the secondary modern. Oh, did you? Yeah. You know, your eyes meeting over a bag of chips <laughs> <laughs> and romance was born. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was as close as you got in the chip shop. And then I remember because, um, you know, Patton, the haulage contractor yes. out at uh, Dolish Ford, well, Robert Patton, Bob Patton, the boy, was in my class. And he would come out with us as well. And we'd walk back. And Carol Drayton, as she is now, was either very good friends in the family or was related. And we would chat to them. But that was as much kind of meeting of almost a civilian folk of our age that we did. And that was back along Silver Street and back into school. Right. I, did come, I did come out on one occasion during lessons because my English teacher, dear old killer knight, that is a clue to how <laughs> discipline was organised. <laughs> dear old killer knight, the um, staff tea situation was rather fraught. There was no tea left. And he sent me uptown to get uh, a bag, a packet. This shows out what an age it was. Of loose leaf oh, yeah. Brook Bond tea, remember with the tear off yeah, coupon yeah. on the back? From Haygate's Farm and General Supplies, you know, classic oldie worldy shop. And she came creaking down over the stairs. And you know, I waited about two days and she got there and I got the tea, but I didn't care because I was missing a bit of school time. So then you left the grammar school and went. Uh, Initially, I, um, I kind of missed the boat in terms of opportunities post-18 education, but I kind of made up my mind that I wanted to be a teacher. And I had an interview and got a place, with not too much bother, at St Luke's College, Exeter. Right. For the what made you want to be a teacher then? One of the teachers in the school or no? I, I really like working with people right i've always been fascinated by people and what makes them tick and young people especially i thought you know here's an opportunity to you know just nudge them direct them give them the skills 
to make a real success of what they want to do. Right. And that's what clinched it for me. But um, as I say, I kind of missed the boat a bit. So instead of going at 18, I had a gap year, as I jokingly call it, yeah. and went at 19. And during my gap year, I worked six months on the farm back up in the home village of Coombe St Nicholas. Oh, yeah. And six months, I made brushes at Nimmer, or helped to make brushes, at the old Nimmer brush factory, which, interestingly enough, was where half my family on my mother's side worked. You know, my, my grandfather worked at the same oh, factory right. making toothbrushes in the same way that I was doing really? as an 18-year-old. Yeah, and then I went away to college and, you know, got trained and... Um, my first job was back up the other side of the Minster, teaching in the girls' grammar school. It was? Yeah. Ah. So yeah. how did the girls' grammar school differ from the boys? Well, for, for a start, it was a strange experience for me because obviously I was now working with all, if I could use this term, all the old dragons who prevented me from having access to the young ladies <laughs> who came down That's in that right. that uh, crocodile yeah. two by two by two past our school, you know the chain link fence. Yeah. In fact, as an aside, he said our behaviour was considered to be so objectionable in terms of leering over the wall or the fence <laughs> at the young ladies that Miss Hatfield must have sent down a message to Mr. Graham. This is just not acceptable. And then Mr. Parker, the groundsman, was told to bring out the line marking machine and a creosote line was put across our school field about 20 yards from the fence. And when the first young lady in the crocodile appeared, if you weren't back behind the line in non-leering country, then you were taken away and really? given some discipline. Yeah. Great. So it was... It was quite strict. Yeah. But as I say, the, suddenly you're in amongst all these senior ladies and it was a different sort of environment. The staff room, you know, chintzy chairs and uh, oh, yeah, yeah. knitting and tea and cake, crook little fingers. No, that, that's, <laughs> that's taking it too far. But you, you get my drift. I was, was there, it a what? different atmosphere, yeah. more relaxed than the boys? or? Um, I don't suppose I could speak from the point of view of the boys staff room because i didn't really know it it was a place to be shunned the staff room in the boys room you only went there if you were really sent there on a mission that was sensible and so forth oh. but um and what did you teach i taught english oh did you yeah and oh, right. I, I mean i was wet behind the ears out of college at the tender age of 22 and straight into a girls grammar school I mean, for example, one of the first, because I taught sixth formers, and they were, some of them, I suppose, creeping up towards 17 and a half, mm. and there was I at 22. Trying to teach. You know, almost. In fact, the first class I went into, sixth form-wise, came in looking as though I knew what I was doing, you know, put down the briefcase, looked at the group, and there in the back row was the young lady that my little brother was walking out with. You know, it was his... Oh, really? So, you know, that gives you an yeah. indication of how young I was and, mm. you know. But, it, you know, it's a learning curve and you pick up 
skills as you go along. And I think that after about three or four years, I think that's when you really hit your straps as a teacher. You are really, really on the ball, firing on all four cylinders, doing a really good job. You know, but you weren't in the grammar school then, were you? Oh, no, no, no. no. Uh, I jokingly say that I started the grammar school and a year later it shut down. <laughs> but it was 1971. It was comprehensive. Education was coming in and, you know... Do you think it was the right thing to do? Yeah, oh, yes, yes. Do you? Lots Def of people don't, do Definitely, Because I've seen it in my own family uh, and... Loads of examples, you know, even within my own village, of very, very able kids who on that day, through nerves or circumstances or the wrong questions, they didn't make the grade. And suddenly they were considered sort of slightly second class and went down a different route. Mm. And um, I mean, my little brother, who... Failed the 11 plus, went to child secondary modern, followed the usual course, started at R.G. Spiller, apprentice Chippy, nothing wrong with that. But he, for some reason, one day thought, in 40 years time, I'll still be here in the same hut. I might be nearer the fire in the winter because I'll be a senior <laughs> yes, <laughs> carpenter. Yeah. And he just upsticks up to London, got one of those kind of multiple uh, civil service application forms, you know, applied to the civil service and gradually did it the hard way. Correspondence course, O-levels, A-levels, went to university and now he's far better qualified than I am. He's got two degrees, a Bachelor of Education degree and a Master's degree. Really? And... That talent, you know, just was not overlooked, but because of the system, it, you know, it didn't materialise until he made up his own mind to, uh, to do it for himself. They say, though, that, I don't know if this is what you feel about this, but they say that because we'd had, we'd given the boys and the girls a grammar school training, it helped us during the war because they had that discipline they had that education and it helped to lead. So would you say that was because they had it? Yes, but by the same token, if we go back a generation, you know, First World War, they said there we had a case of lions led by donkeys. Just because your parents had enough money to put you to invariably a private school, you went, you went to the private school system, you uh, joined the armed forces and because you'd gone to, for example, arguments say Eton or Harrow, obviously officer material, you were placed in a position of uh, seniority and really underneath it all, they were pretty incompetent people and, you know, made bad decisions. And that's when the armed forces realised we got to select people on ability. And an example from my own family background my father-in-law uh, didn't go to grammar school, but had lots of ability and uh, intelligence right. and was sent away on what was called a WASB, a war 
office selection board exercise and they realized this is officer material and he went up through the ranks and came out as a captain because of his innate ability that was right. sort of recognized yeah. and uh, you know that that i think is is what sort of comprehensive does it puts them in to a school and if you've got the ability you can go to what in old money we would call, you know, the top set or whatever. Yes, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, another case in point in my own family, my brother-in-law, he went to um, Hewish Episcopi when it was a secondary modern. But luckily there, one of the staff recognised that he had a real yen, a real insight into numbers and brought them on, him and a few others in there. So he started off at Westlands with an apprenticeship, went to Cranford, got his uh, degree, became a senior sort of um, engineer and executive mm. at Westlands, and then transferred to Hinkley Point to the power industry and became a senior engineer there. And it was just yeah. recognising that ability, but he'd been overlooked by the 11 plus system. Oh, had he? But was just lucky to be singled out by a pretty perceptive member of staff mm. that there's a kid with talent. So really comprehensive, gave everyone a chance. Everyone a chance. Rather than the 11 plus just giving a, the few Yeah, chance. on the one day in the year that you had to take for two hours, an English paper and a maths paper, mm. that's when you had to impress people. Mm. And some people just don't hack, you know, the pressure of an exam and so forth, yeah. which is why I, it's not so much now, but one of the systems that was introduced was, you know, coursework. Yeah. And that allowed kids, you know, to just sensibly over a period of time build up a bank of work which showed them in their best light. Not just saying, right, if you can't right. do it within two hours on Tuesday afternoon, yeah. you're... Yeah. Second class, as it were. Mm. So what eventually brought you to Ilminster? You were um, teaching in Ilminster, but I take it not living in Ilminster. No. Uh, Obviously the grammar school closed down, so you had to find a, another yeah, we, teaching we, job. Yeah, well, we, we, um, I, my job initially, and the teacher's bible for getting jobs is a Times Educational Supplement, and everyone at college, as you got closer to the time when you had to, you know, get employed, mm. you get this every Friday, shuffle through it, look at the jobs, where do I want to teach, which area of the country, and then you look for your subject. And I saw Ilmster Girls Grammar School initially, but the job was advertised as Wadham. Oh. So I thought, just for a laugh, I'll apply for it. Girls Grammar School, just down the road from where I went to school, I will apply for it. And lo and behold, I got the job. And... Um, much, much later, when I was over at Wadham, I realised that one of the things which swayed it in terms of me getting the job, which I learnt from Chris Dalton, the original head of PE yes. at Wadham, was that obviously in my CV, I put in, you know, uh, other skills. First 15 fullback, played soccer for the captain, played cricket. And of course, Chris was thinking, I need people who can take teams uh, who are not, you know, in the PE yeah. department, but could take a team. And 
he said to Mr. Clifton, this is the one that I would prefer you to appoint. Right. Not that that was the be all and end all, of course, but, um, you know, it may have helped. And then when I, um, obviously at the end of the year, we all packed up down the road, final school photograph in the uh, churchyard, you know, behind the church. Yes, yeah, yeah. Blanket draped over that tombstone, which has sunk down to within about three inches of the grass. You know, that one, we were all ranged behind there. Blanket over there to disguise it. And the old clockwork machine taking the, you know, semicircle of girls and stuff. And that was it. We'd finished over to Wadham. So over to Wadham we went. And Geoffrey Clifton rang me up and said, I don't know whether you're interested, but obviously we've still got a portion of boarders at the Crewcurn Boys Grammar School that have got to work through Wadham Senior School. Right. You know, we, we can't just kick them out of the boarding house and that's it. We've still got to look after them. There's a boarding master post, if you'd like it, which means accommodation, some extra money, and three square meals a day. Are you interested? Yeah. Well, I thought, what's not to like? Mm. You're getting paid. All right, you've got some duties. And of course, then, to Coombe House, if you can picture it, you go up the hill out of Crewkern. Yeah. And there's the old Crewkern Boys Grammar School, yeah. which is now flats and apartments. The left-hand side was staff accommodation. And in the not the basement, but the ground floor was Chris Dalton and Mrs. Dalton and the two girls. In the flat above was me. And then in the flats above that was Phil Hunt. Yeah. You remember Phil yeah, Hunt? Yeah, yeah. And Babs Gover, as she was known originally, the domestic science teacher at Wadham. They were up on the oh, top right. deck. And then the rest of the section upstairs was where all the boarders slept in the oh, yeah. boarders' room. Yeah. And, you know, you'd take prep and all the boarders would come down with their work into the main hall and you'd sit with them for an hour, a couple of hours, and then back up to your flat. Oh, wow. And they would go, and then you'd go around and metaphorically tuck them in, make yeah. sure they're all in bed and lights out. Oh, right. And uh, do their pocket money on a Friday. <laughs> it was just, it was just like these old stories you read you know, in, yeah. in the books. It was, and then um, I did two years there, and then I did a year in a comprehensive first one in Brighton. Didn't like that because you know I'm a country boy at heart. And then I came back to Stanchester and did, oh, going on for thirty years at Stanchester. Oh yeah. And then kind of semi-retired and did supply, Swan Mead, Maiden Beach, a bit of Westfield, but mainly Swan Mead and Maiden Beach. So when did you come to Ilminster? That would have been, yeah, um, sort of 70, 71, to teach. Obviously, I came down for school yeah. in Yeah, and when did you come to live? Uh, that's what I'm trying to work out. I think we... Late we, 70s? Yeah, we got the house at the top of Listers Hill, were married, moved in there, and then 12 years later, I think it was, 
we uh, bought the place down at Greendale. Greendale. We've been there ever since. So we we've been yeah in and around Ilmster all our married yeah. existence, yeah. which is and how, a lot how of do years. you think? What do you think is the biggest change in Ilmster itself? Yeah. Or, uh, obviously, there's the change of education, but um, a huge amount of development, you know, uh, yeah. houses uh, and so forth. In fact, I remember that my first summer holiday from the girls' grammar school, I helped on the building site, which is now Summerlands. I oh, helped. Did you? Yeah. B um, not build, but do. Because yeah, yeah. a friend of mine was working on there and he said, look, the company is Danforth. Yeah. It's wages in your hand at the end of the week no questions asked and we're all you know no one's on the firm's books we're all subbies so he said you want some extra cash pop down have a word with the site foreman the site foreman was not a builder he was a forestry graduate who could do um surveying oh. and i went to see him he said yeah we can find you some work and uh you know i was digging trenches doing drains, you know, all that kind of... So that's where they took the prefabs down? Yes. And built, and then built what is now? Summerlands, yeah. Oh, right. Um, although uh, one week I wasn't on site at all because the site foreman, this chap, was a folk singer and very interested in the folk scene in the southwest. And at that point I could drive. Right. And he said, right, take the firm's van. Here's a big batch of posters he said start at Exmouth and work your way along the coast every village you come across put a poster up about the folk festival that we're having in Sidmouth <laughs> and I just spent the whole day just tootling along the coast <laughs> stopping for a cup of tea you know that sort yeah. of thing right. which um yeah that was another experience did you know Summerlands before it became Summerlands or was you only here when it started, when it was being pulled down and built? I, again, this thing about do you really know Ilmster if you just come to school in Ilmster? I had this vague idea that there were fabricated buildings on the left-hand side as I walked across, you know, the old water meadows with the big slabs yes, yeah. and the little um, kissing gate. Yeah, that's, and, yes. and then you went up the lane past... Bert's Banana Warehouse. <laughs> yeah, we don't remember that. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember. Pe people tell me originally it was a brewery, mm. hence Brewery Lane. But I, I don't remember that. I just remember Bert's Banana Warehouse. In fact, that's where Nigel Gillard had a little part-time job when he was a Did he? youth, I think. Yeah. But anyway, that, that's, that, I have a hazy memory of that. But interestingly enough, when my father-in-law moved down here from the northeast to become the county medical welfare officer, he came down with his son. And as a stopgap, they had one of the little prefabs just as a, uh, you know, a place to stay oh, before he got a house in the town. OK, well, we thank go. you very much and thanks for talking. We'd like to thank Roger for his very funny memories from the grammar school and his memories of his teaching career. And please remember, if you have any memories you would like to share, you can contact us via the website 
at www.ilminsterhistorysociety.co.uk. Thank you for listening and keep an eye out for our next podcast.